this is a recreation of the Shir on Perkasochret Umnen given uh, on the evening of November 16th at Young Israel of Sharon. I very much uh, regret that the live dialogue with the members of the Shir has been lost owing to my technical incompetence, but I hope that this recreation will have uh, increased clarity as a result of uh, those interactions. So we began by uh, looking at the Chashukei Chemed, uh, which we began last year. Um, Rav Zilberstein, uh, and again, I note that this is a case which is invented, and I wouldn't take the answer as being said, and that probably should be generally said about uh, that one should not take the answers as halachalamase. So he constructs a case in which a person uh, leaves actually bottles of oil uh, in shul for sale. Uh, maybe it's around Hanukkah time, he doesn't say, um, and puts a price on them of 18 uh, shkalim. And somebody else would like one of those bottles but has no shkalim at all. So what they do is they flip the uh, price placard and, and they stand behind the counter and they take 20 shkalim instead of 18. And when nine people have bought, so now they figure that the owner of the stand has uh, the 18 shkalim they need for a bottle, so they take a bottle of oil and Zilberstein wants to know What's the outcome in that case? Who owes what money? Can you keep the oil, etc.? Uh, what matters to us is he says the following. Um, the owner of the stand should not have to return the two shkalim to each of these buyers, assuming even that he can uh, find them. And he quotes our case. If the owner says to the agent, hire me workers for four, and the shliach, in fact, hires them for three, um, even when the work is four, they only get three. Okay, so he says, is, look, in the case of the Gemara, the, the, um, the employer is willing to pay four, but he gets the labor of the laborers for three. Um, so since they agreed, he doesn't have to pay them the fourth, they just have a taromet on the middleman. So you're allowed to benefit from a situation in which because of a middleman, uh, you, right, you get an additional economic benefit. In the case of the Gemara, the economic benefit you get is the work done. In the case here, the economic benefit that he gets is the extra money paid by the, um, by the, um, by the buyers. And they have a taromet on the shleach, why did you raise the price? But that right, but Rizal um, takes this as a valid analogy, and he says, So what's the reason that there's a teromit against the middle person, in the Gemara's case, the um, the agent, the hiring agent, and in our case, the person who switched the signs and raised the um, raised the price? Um, right, so the Gemara says this is a case of Timna Tov Mi Balav. So it's because they could have gotten the oil for 18, and he raised the price to 20. Uh, that's why they have a taromit. So we pointed out that the this plainly disagrees with the Talmud Harashba, uh, whose side I guess I am uh, betraying a bias for, who says that the reason for Altimna Tovmi Balav is that we're dealing with a context of labor, and the employees are presumptively poorer than the, um, than the, than the employer. And therefore, right, the Talmud Rashba gives the only real explanation we have seen for why the uh, for why Altina Tovmi Balav is a one-way uh, phenomenon, right? Why don't we say that uh, every time 
that um, every time that you pay the employees more than uh, they would have been willing to work for. Why does Altim tell me right that there's also Altim tell me about all the other way? In this case, right, clearly, right, in the Gemara, the clearly employees are willing to work for three. So if the agent had hired them for four, right, wouldn't the owner have a tarmit um, on them? And so every, we have to come with an explanation for why it's one way. And the only explanation we've really seen for that is the Talmud Harashba. Uh, so Rosilberstein right, just walks right through that. Um, and he's and he says no nope, right there's a, an analogy between employer employee relationships and all other commercial relationships and so the issue is the same here and why don't we why is it that we have the buyers that throw it against the um, against the merchant whereas the well whereas the merchant should have had a throw it against the um, against the middleman if he didn't raise the price right? that he doesn't address so I point out that I think that's a uh, I think that's a weakness. Uh, but we could actually say that um, labor relationships are a unique case because <clears throat> in the case of labor, the, the, the situation is not um, restorable to the uh, status quo ante. You can't say, okay, we'll take our labor back. They already did the labor as opposed to merchandise um, where you could say, okay, give the bottles of oil back and we'll, we'll have the give the money back. But here... Um, so employer-employee relationships, in addition to the power um, context set up by the Talmud Rashba, could be unique because you can't take back the labor you've done. Uh, in most cases, all of this Rosilberstein just um, skates through, um, and in the end, he rejects this because of the uh, because he claims that well, here we're dealing with a gazlan, and so the um, really so really he's not a shliach, whereas in the other in the case of the Gemara. The employer is still a shliach. Uh, still, right? It's the the hirer is still a shliach. Uh, he talks about whether the um, another analogous case, which is that um, what happens if you rent uh, if you rent from a if you move into an apartment and pay rent to a, to an agent when it turns out that the owner had no intention of renting the apartment. Um, so the answer is right that uh, you don't owe anything to the original owner because they didn't expect to get any any money at all out of the property. All right, again, so he draws analogies to commercial law, he draws analogies to real estate law. Um, what I'm trying to argue is that, well, you should see that because uh, most of the Rishonim we saw did not provide a rationale for it being unique to labor law, but the Talmud Rashba does, and that we can see in the way Rav Zilberstein um, runs through that signpost that there is um, there's a real value in real nafkaminas. And then the issue is, if we understand this as the um, as the as grounded in the special circumstances of of employer employee relationships, or perhaps in the Talmud Rosh specific terms in terms of, of economic dispar uh, it's, a, it's a rule about economic disparity as opposed to structural power disparity uh, that uh, that I addressed. So what happens if Rav Zilberstein's psak, um, and again, that shouldn't be the case of Chashuk Echemed, but let's suppose, right, becomes precedent and gets quoted all over the Rabbanut. So, in order to restore halacha to the what we understand to be the underlying the underlying rationales, do we have to underdo our pre- all precedents, or as we argued uh, when illustrating um, that I called the X-shaped sugi, the V-shaped sugi, and the X the X-shaped uh, history of halacha, uh, discussing the um, Yehoshlamidat sugya. Maybe what you do is you have to take all the precedents into account, but then just say the future halacha will try and build off we un- what we understand as the underlying uh, conceptual structure and produce whatever ad hoc answers are necessary 
to justify uh, to justify precedent to narrow the impact of precedent. Okay, so that's an interesting question uh, in terms of looking forward to halacha. Okay, so much um, for uh, the Chashuk Hamed. Let's go back now to the um, to the rift. So we pointed out that the um, rift to um, this is the Zafer Rift Memheim at Beis has the following. Uh, right, remember Mishnah says. Um, um, and the Gemara begins by saying, right? There of quotes, right? Our Gemara initially says that you can't understand hitu as meaning chazru, and, and therefore you have to, right, you have to introduce the middle person and say, right, that there, there are two kinds of poalim. Um, right, so you hired one as an agent and the other and the agent then hires the direct workers and means that the agent and the workers in some way um, trick each other um, so the rest says but what happens if so what happens in a case of Khazru, which is no longer a case of the case of the Mishnah so it says if either party um, right seeks to renege on the contract um, when it's a situation where the there is no direct economic loss to the or no threatened economic loss to the employer in it um, because the work won't the work won't spoil as a result of being of these workers leaving it um the, the case the rift gives is because the work simply won't spoil it will remain in stasis but we'll see uh, later that another possibility is because replacement workers uh, are easily available at the same price i feel that so the rift says that if you were that in that the mission is talking about a hitu rather than chazru, because in the case of chazru, there would be no teromit at all. Uh, and then, right, then he says, the Gemara shifts, and this is the, the new Okimta, right? We've seen all the Okimtas based on that premise, that hitu can't mean uh, chazru. But he says, v'ibay seima, haitana chazru, hitu karile. Then there says, the last Okimta, which we haven't seen inside in the Gemara yet, but the last Okimta is, says, no, our premise is wrong, and actually, what the Mishnah means by hitu is chazru, and therefore, the last stage of the Gemara concludes that there is in fact a taromet in the case of um, of chazru zebzeh. Okay, we'll have to pick up as um, so we note that the, the Mishnah also says and if really there's just a taromet, um, what does it mean yodol tachtona? So there seems to be a tension within the Mishnah. But the issue that we're addressing right now is that the Rift seems to believe, and this is what Ricky Eger points out, that there is a substantive change in the Gemara. The Gemara initially believes that in the case of Chazru, either way, uh, there is not even a Taromet, and then the Gemara creates no Kimta to say that no, in that case there, in that case there is also a Taromet. So Ricky Eger says, why does the Rift invent? Um, a dispute where well, there is no dispute. Maybe the dispute was pu- right, the Havani of the Gemara was purely literary, that you that you can't say hitu means chazru, um, and the maskana is that no, you can say hitu means chazru, but everyone understood all along that in the case of chazru there would be a teromit. Uh, so that's what we keep Eger said, but the Rif says not. So we pointed out that this is analogous to the point that we made regarding the sugya as a whole, that a key issue all the way through is going to be the entanglement or lack thereof of a literary point and a substantive point. Um, so the Gemara, right, the Gemara has the um, the Havamina uh, that, hitu, that hitu can't mean chazru, and then the Gemara has a Havamina that it has to be a case where the, empl- where the agent under promises, and then the Gemara says, no, 
It doesn't have to be a place where the Asian Ray Lagimar says because if that were the case, uh, if right, if the um, if the sorry, if the Gemara says if the agent underpromised and the worker it has to be a case with the worker with the agent overpromised because there was a case where the agent underpromised and the workers agreed. Sarvah v'kibel and the Gemara says no. Um, Sarvah v'kibel doesn't prevent or the svar either the svar of Sarvah v'kibel is wrong or the svar of Sarvah v'kibel doesn't prevent a taromid on the basis of altimna tov mi balav. So the same issue there is it uh, when the Gemara rejects the um, rejects the assumption. That you ha- that it has to be overpromising because otherwise it would be suffer for kibul. Is the Gemara or is there actually a sub- two substantive positions in the Gemara? The initial positions believe that suffer for kibul means that there can't be a teromit, and the later position says no, there can be a teromit. Or is the Gemara just saying no? Right, you know, it's just using it um, that question as a way to present the okimtas of um, of overpromising. <clears throat> so just like you had those options in the Gemara. Um, now the rift presents you those options one step later, and the general question is, um, a re- when we say no, that can't be, um, and present a substantive reason for why that can't be, or a literary reason for why that can't be, uh, and we change our mind, does that really mean that we changed our substantive position? So, right? so we could claim that there's a machloket about whether summer um, between the the first three. Of, uh, the over the overpromising okimta and the underpromising okimta, but whether Savarikibil prevents a taromit based altim that told me balav, and now we can claim that uh, as as the riff appears to that there's a substantive dispute about whether in the case of Chazruzebazeh there is a uh, taromit or not. Okay, um, so now let's take a look at how the Gemara actually presents this okimta that the riff cites. Uh, which says right So the Gemara, what the Gemara says there. Now we're looking at the Gemara. It uh, says um, So there's no literary barrier now to saying that the Mishnah is talking about Chazru Zebazeh. Ditanya, and the Gemara presents a brayta um, in support of this. Right, Ditanya. So Means right as it says in the Brayta. So whenever the Gemara has a Ditanya, you have to ask yourself: um, So what is this coming Brayta supporting, and right what is it demonstrating, and how is it demonstrating it? So here we can, um, from the beginning, we can say there are two possibilities at least. One possibility is that the Brayta comes to support the literary claim that um, Hitu can mean Chazru. Um, and the other possibility is that it comes to support the substantive claim that in the case of Chazru, they have a Tarom and Zelzeh. So let's read the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, uh, so the Brayta here says, Asokhra Tumanin, Vihit Uit Balabayas, O Balabayas Hit Autan, Einlehem Zelzeh El Taromet. So we look at it, we say, hmm, well, it uses the language of Hitu. Uh, is there any proof yet that Hitu here means Chazru? So the answer is not directly. But what we have, the Gemara says that if you um, if you say hitu really means hitu, then you have to introduce the middle party um, of the uh, of the of the hiring agent, even though right there's nothing um, right. So that way we can say, or in order to read the Mishnah that way, we have to say hitu ze in the Mishnah means that one poel is mat the other, and we can't think of a case it seems the Gemara in which those two poelim are on the same level. So we introduce the middle category 
of the hiring agent. So that reading, which the Gemara says is necessary uh, to say that hitu really means hitu, is impossible in the Breitah because the Breitah says, So there's no room for claiming that the polium are, um, the polium are mutually um, fooling each other. And if you think that the only conceivable case of Tiromet of the, of the, uh, is where the polium uh, for hitu is where the polem are mat at each other, so now you can't do it, and therefore the breita means chazru, uh, chazru zebezet. We will see later uh, in the shir that um, the Gemara's exclusion of the possibility to hitu zebezet can apply even if the um, can apply even if there's a middleman may not be um, may not be compelling. Maybe you can read hitu literally, even if you think zebezet means as the case of the Breita, where the Balabayit is directly mat'eh, the employees, and the employees are directly mat'eh, the Balabayit. Okay, but then the Gemara says, uh, the, the Breita goes on. Now we have to look at the structure of the Breita. The structure of the Breita is that there are four Bameh Devarim Amurims, and we'll have to engage in the same kind of structural analysis of those as we did of the Ibais Emas uh, in the Gemara. To what extent uh, are they nested within each other, um, or to what extent are they all independent, or, or some of them independent of Kimtut? Either directly on the um, on the brayta, or on uh, an earlier right, or maybe they go right. Maybe number four is you know kimta on num- on uh, on number two, um, and number three right. But it's but it's um, on the same level as number three. Okay, so the first of kimta is the medvar amurim shelo holchu, of a holchu chamrim v'lomatzut v'u apolin v'lomatzut sadekishi alacha notein lahem scharan mishalem. Okay, so the rule that there is only a tiromet. Uh, in the opening line of the Breitah, applies only if the workers never went to the place where they are going to work. But if you hire uh, carriers, um, right, mule, uh, mule drivers or donkey drivers, uh, to transport um, grain, and then they go there and the grain is not there, um, or you, or workers to, um, let's say, to plow a field, and they get there and the field is too wet to plow, then they don't just have a teromet, they have um, you have to pay them entirely. So why do you have to pay them entirely? Um, presumably because um, most like possibility is that they no longer because they have traveled to that place of work, there isn't going to be anybody else to hire them. Uh, so now you have caused them a genuine financial loss, and so you owe them their uh, their salary completely. Uh, whereas if uh, if they never bother, right, if they find out about the uh, about whatever the about the chazara. Uh, or about the the hataya before they go, um, then they get nothing at all. So the question is, does that uh, right? So sh- does that apply only to a case of chazara, or is it applied to a case uh, even to a case of um, of hitub? So I don't know. Uh, let me say, let, right, let's take the um, the overpromising case, um, right? If, if I over, if I over, if the agent over over promises them, they discover the overpromising before they go to work. Then um, maybe that's just a teromit. But if they've already gone to work, so then whatever claim they made, we could have found somebody who right, we could have found somebody who would pay us more. Now they've really lost the opportunity. It's not just that they uh, have the bother of having to negotiate a second contract; they've really lost the opportunities. I don't know if this okimta necessarily proves it. Um, and then the Gemara uh, says, by by the way, and this is um, by the way, you don't really pay them their entire work. What you pay them, uh, the, the writer says, what you pay them is the difference between what the uh between what they would want to just uh, right what between what they would be willing to take if um just to uh, to stay 
to stay home, right? Because that's what they did, right? They didn't do any work at all. So you pay them, uh, right? So you can subtract the um, whatever, right? The you, can, right, they, you don't have to pay them actually for the work because you can take off whatever they right, whatever they would right, whatever they would have um, taken to just stay home in the first place. Um, okay, I'm sorry, I'm not explaining that well. Uh, so I have to figure that right. So Sharami Shalom means it, but that, for, but the the key issue we're trying to figure out is whether in fact you can demonstrate from this breita that um, either the case of Chazara there is only two and so that we don't seem to have any. Um, any evidence at all that just depends on interpreting the first line, or do some of the okimto here work only if you're talking about a case of uh, of Chazara? So I gave this year the first time it seemed to me that that was demonstrable from this okimto, but I don't seem to be recovering that right now. Perhaps that's a loss of the live audience. So you can decide for yourself whether the distinction between Shlo Halchu and Halchu works only in a case of uh, Chazara and therefore proves that the first line of the Brayta must be talking about Chazara and therefore he too can mean Chazara. Um, or it doesn't. Uh, the next okimta we have is whether hitchilu b'malacha or not hitchilu b'malacha. Um, right. So they say right. The, the, right, what, the distinction there, now we have three cases. There's they never bothered going at all. They went and discovered that there was no work to do, or they went and began the work, and then something happened. So whether something happened is their discovery that they were uh, that they were tricked, or what happens is that they choose to. Um, one part or the other chooses to end the contract. So here, uh, for the first time, we have an explicit machloket. Um, there's a, the position at the beginning of the Brayta is uh, whereas Rabbi Dosa comes along and says uh, So means that you pay them the value of what they did, and Shemin Lamati is you is that you pay them the initially agreed salary, or perhaps the, uh, well, let's say the initially agreed salary, um, minus what it will cost the employer to complete the work. So now you might say, but those are the same thing, right? It ends at the same amount. You agreed to, you agreed to, uh, right, to do the work for $10, and now you've done half the work, so pay you what you've done, that's $5, pay you what it would take to finish, that's... Um, that's uh, right. That's also right. That's also what pay you what it will take in the hire someone else to play. That that's all. That's another five dollars. Okay, but there are actually all sorts of circumstances in which we can imagine that being different. What happens if uh, the work right? It doesn't make sense to divide the work, but the beginning of the work is much easier than the later work. Uh, what happens if there's a transaction cost? People right? There isn't enough work um, to make it pay for the travel time. Um, if you do if you do the um, you do it halfway, so you'd have to. So the owner would have to pay a premium um, for the for halfway. Uh, what happens if it will cost the employer more for the rest of it because the shahar is higher than what you agreed to? Or what happens if there has been inflation in the middle uh, or deflation, such right, which is the most likely reason that people will renege on the contract? The most likely reason for Chazara is that. Um, you can now hire workers more cheaply. You can now employ yourself uh, for more in such a way that uh, overrides the transaction costs. Um, so I'm just pointing out is that all of these are um, all these are wh- whether the employers went or not, employees went or not, whether the employees began the labor or not. Those are um, all factors that we have. That whether we think that this disproves the opening uh, that the opening of Kemptus can be shot in the Mishnah or whether or not. Uh, we are st- we still have to ask these questions in every one of those okimta. 
uh, right? Do they, right? Does it affect our ruling that there is a taromet or that there's only a taromet if the workers have gone or if the workers haven't gone, if the workers have begun the work, if the, if the workers haven't begun the work, if the shower uh, of labor has changed in the interim? So all those, right, all these are factors that the Gemara seems not to have introduced um, in the opening sugyo. Now, why doesn't the Gemara introduce them? So it could be that the Gemara, um, that, the, that the Gemara um, doesn't introduce them because it doesn't know about them yet, because we look at the sugya sequentially, and since this Breita hasn't been, uh, hasn't been introduced yet, so the Gemara doesn't know about it. The other possibility is the Gemara knows about it, but for whatever reason, it doesn't want to introduce them uh, until until this stage. And that, um, it seems to me, is um, most consistent with a notion that the structure of the Gemara is literary, and the Gemara wants to introduce these um, some of the Okimto at first, and does so before what it sees as compelling evidence that they're incorrect, um, and it only introduces these complications at the end, uh, maybe because they only apply to the last Okimto, and maybe because the goal of the opening sugya was not to analyze the cases in depth. I would also explain why the Gemara doesn't play out uh, how all the details in, in, the, in the first Okim that play out in the others, but just to expand the notion of Teromit to, uh, to all those cases. Okay, the Gemara, right here there's a machloket, and we have to figure out, right, how does that machloket ramify um, throughout the uh, throughout the sugya? And... Right. To what extent is this debate about how, um, in, right, assuming it's about inflation or deflation, to what extent does the does the question of how the costs of, let's say, inflation are allocated between the employer and the employee if they, uh, right, if they withdraw from the contract, to what extent, uh, right, we could argue that these positions are related to the question, or really we should just say kolachoser bayodola tachtona, right? That would be the. That would be the simple answer. Yet here we have two positions that superficially don't support the position of Kolachoser Boyodola Tachtona, but produce a mechanical rule um, instead. So maybe they um, maybe they both disagree with the line Kolachoser Boyodola Tachtona. <clears throat> but if we're claiming that this Breita is really the Pshat in the in the Mishnah, so that means that maybe there's a tension between the opening line of the Mishnah and the later line of the Mishnah of Kolachoser Boyodola Tachtona. So that all that will have to be worked out. Uh, in uh, coming weeks, okay. Then the Gemara, then the Brayta makes a distinction between davar uh, davar uh, havud and davar shainovavud, uh, right? Whether the um, which um, seems to be focused on uh, as a limitation on the employees' right uh, to leave. Although we have to see whether there's an analogy to davar havud uh, for right for for um, employees. Um, we'll note that the Brayta and the Mishnah reconnected the case of davar Aved. The case of davar Aved is also. Um, in the is also in the Mishnah, and we end up with the last line, right, which um, seems like perhaps the inverse of Dvar Avud, which seems like the last two Akimtos would be uh, parallel as opposed to uh, as opposed to nested. Um, the last case is what happens if right, it depends on uh, whether the employer has other workers. Um, sorry, that's really it's a parallel case, right? So one case is is Dvar Avud or not. And the other possibility question is: Are there other workers immediately present for the employer um, to hire to hire or not? Bizman sheish polem or present enough? Bizman sheish polem the score. Bizman shein polem the score. Okay, right. So we we'll have to ask right again how all of those those relate to each other. One other point we have to make in this bright the Gemara cites the Gemara says after b'midvar murim shlohit chilu b'malacha v'alit chilu b'malacha shamin lehem ashasu. Gemara says keitzad kiblu. Uh, 
Beged lehirug bishnei slayim or guchetzia chetziov hinichu chetziov. So they accepted a uh, a garment to weave for two slayim, and they wove half of it. Um, right, and that's when we get into the machlokas between the Tanakhama and Rabbi Dosa about whether we pay them what they've done or we pay them the initial the initially agreed amount um, minus uh, minus what it will cost the employer to complete the labor. So that sounds very much like we're talking about piecework. Uh, right, we're talking right, where they, they get paid for the garment, not they don't get paid by time. Um, and uh, we saw a claim that the Rambam holds that there is ona in such a case. So if the Breita is talking about a case of Kablanim, and so we have to figure out, so does that mean the Mishnah, right? If, if the Breita is, t- if we're telling us what the Mishnah really meant, meant is the same case as the Breita, um, right, the maximal reading of the of, of the line to Tanya. So that means that all the Okimta we uh, we introduced at the beginning of the Sugya are also cases of Kablanut. And we saw the claim, the Raman believes that there is Ona by Kablanut, so now we have to redo the whole Gemara um, in, light, in light of Ona, if we think that's a compelling argument. Okay, so um, with that, now let's uh, in fact turn to the Raman. So the Rambam, um, first thing we want to point out, uh, this is in Ram Hilchos Chiras Periktet. So Periktet Halacha Aleph says, "Hasokor tapolim v'amar lahem lahashkim lahariv, v'akom shenagul shlo lahashkim v'shlo lahariv." And now, right, so right, you hire workers and you're trying to set their hours. So the answer is that their hours should be set according to standard community behavior. Uh, you can't force them to show up to work uh, earlier or to stay later than the standard uh, the sta- standard employees do. In the same token, you have to provide them uh, standard amounts of food for their for their lunch um, in an environment where empo- where employers are expected to provide uh, food. So that is the opening mission of the seventh parak. Then we say, so Hoch Gimel, right, right? So all the Okimtos of the Gemara in of our Gemara begin in Halacha Gimel. And right, it's presented as the opening of Sasokrat, uh as Um and it gives you the case of Yeshlam Tarman al Shliach, right? He um right and he presents the he presents the Okimtas in order, right? First we have um we have uh, he, he tells the Paul he tells the the shlucho hiramit Paulin bishlosha v'halachis charim arba. We go through uh, a couple of cases there, and then we say amar lo ba'itz charli barba v'halachis charim shlosha. The reverse case of the uh, of the underpromising. Now the Ram doesn't have the exact order of our Gemara because then then he goes back to three and uh, three and then four, but he goes through all the okimtot uh, in the sugya in halachic general, and al chadalad begins. So Lachadalad begins with the um, begins with the, uh, the a citation of the opening line of our Breita, and it makes it makes it clear, I think, that we're talking about uh, we're talking about Chazara. So the first thing I want to note is that in our right in our Mishnah. Um, the, where our Okemtos are the sixth parak 
and Hakol Kiminagim Dina as the seventh parak. The Rambam has Hakol Kiminagim Dina as the opening of this parak, and then he moves, uh, right, and then he moves uh, um, to the material from our parak. So A, he reverses the order, and B, he puts them in a single parak. And if you take the structure of the Rambam really seriously, what he's doing is he's presenting the sixth parak as a set either of illustrations or exceptions of the overriding rule Hakol Kiminagim Dina. So we have to figure out if we think that's a compelling claim or not. Now, he doesn't present the Okimtet in, in the order of the Gemara. I didn't point this out in the uh, live share, but I'm noticing it now. Uh, he presents the Okimtet uh, slightly out of order, and then he quotes the language of the Brita. So I wanted to argue, and I still want to argue, uh, but I know that uh, that uh, there was some resistance to this, um, that what the Ramam is saying here really is that the that the last Okimtet of the Gemara where it says that the meaning of the Mishnah is determined by Ditanya, is actually the pshat of the Mishnah. But the fact that the pshat in the Mishnah, that that's the pshat in the Mishnah, doesn't mean that all the okimtot of the prior sugya are substantively false. Ram thinks you can accept all the okimtot of the sugya, uh, but um, even though you know that pshat in the Mishnah is the other way, and I wanted to argue that that actually explains the order of the Gemara, the Gemara waits to introduce the last one because it knows that there's a Brita which it sees as uh, compelling evidence as to what the real meaning of the Mishnah is, but the Gemara wants to introduce the Havaminas as a way to illustrate the concept of Taromit in cases where it believes that um, Taromit applies. So you can decide if you find that compelling um, or not. Um, okay, also I want to point out, right, this is, I, I lied earlier, but there is this uh, Halacha Bet in the Ramam where he introduces a notion, which perhaps is from the seventh parak, that when you, when you have a case where the market is, um, the market has a range as opposed to an actually set price, some people are hired for three and some people are hired for four, the Ramam says, um, Alright, so what you do is you see the bottom end of the market, and you see the top end of the market, and you evaluate among them. So I don't know if that means you automatically go halfway, or if you go by, right, you create a, you know, a whole distribution, and you say like, what's, the, what's the average worker, what's the most likely thing, whatever, however you want to, uh, however, you, however you the mean, whatever you want to set it out. But the Ramah thinks that when there is a, an ambiguous contract, a contract, um, or even when there, perhaps, right, maybe it's only when there's a contract, or even in general, when there's a dispute between employers and employees, uh, or this, when there's an employer owes an employee money, but how much the employer owes is indeterminate and therefore is evaluated by the market. But the market is not a fixed market, the market is a range market. So in our sugya, we had, right, we said the case of Teromit is where there are people who are hired with for three and people who are hired for four, and the answer is that the worker only gets three but has a teromit against the shliach. Why? So we explained it because of Motsi Mechavero of Araya. Uh, right? That if the um, that the employee the employee has no way of making a claim against the employer for more than three because he can't prove he would have been paid more. Uh, but here the Ramal offers a different solution. He says what you do is you pay some right, you pay some kind of midpoint, some kind of average. So the question is, um, why doesn't our Suga introduce that idea? Uh, so it could be we have to distinguish the cases. Um, but we also ask, in the Ramos case, why don't we just say So I wanted to argue that um, this notion of the of the, inter the intermediate value is a um, is a uh, is a ca is a case um, 
might be a reflection of the specifically unique case where you can't allow Motsi Mecherel of Raya to always function in employer-employee relationships because it's always going to be the case that the employer has the work first and so you're uh, you're reinforcing a power balance. And the Ram does quote the Okimta with only a Taromit, even though it's Hayavanida Mishaniskar Bishlosho Mishaniskar Barba. So you're actually going to come up with a, a more sophisticated understanding of the Rambam, which explains why sometimes we do this and why sometimes we do that. And maybe my explanation is false. And um, really, there's something unique to the cases, and it's not about uh, the limitations of Motsi Mechaver of Araya specifically in labor relations. That obviously goes back to the point we were making in the. Um, in the Chashuke Chemet. Uh, okay. The, um, moving from the Rambam to the uh, Tosefta. Um, so the Tosefta has the same language as the Breitha that the um, Gemara cites. The Tosefta says, Asakhar etapolim, bein shehit ut balabayit, bein shehit hit autan, einlhen um it has a very different structure in terms of the overall parak, and we'll have to right, we'll have to see if we think that the structure of the Tosefta is substantively significant, whether we think the structure of the Breita uh, is substantively significant, although I wanted to argue that the structure of the Breita is is uh, the structure is organized beginning and end with your omit. The Tosefta doesn't quite um, work that way. Uh, we'll have to figure out how all that relates to the Mishnah. Uh, what I want to bring right say is that, okay, so just the, the current understanding is not, uh, as some of us may have been taught in Yeshiva, that the Tosefta is just a collection of Breitot from the Gemara. Uh, that there, there were collections called Tosefta, not collection called Tosefta, but collections called Tosefta, perhaps one in Eretz Yisrael, one in Babel, perhaps a, a more, uh, a more uh, a broader array of things called Tosefta. Uh, all what we have Tosefta is definitely subsequently influenced by Breitot in the Gemara, but is not drawn from it. So probably we can say this is an independent witness um, of the text So the question is, is the Gemara, right, we go back to the question of Titania. So is the Gemara just trying to prove that the language of Hitu can mean Chazru, and it thinks that the Okimtot of the Breitot um, the Bright and the Gemara, and that, that would same will be true in the Tosefta, which has the same Okimtos to begin with, demonstrate that Hitu there means Chazru. Um, or is it trying to claim that the case of the Mishnah must also be one in which the Balabayit and the employees are doing things to each other directly, as opposed to doing things um, via Shliach? Perhaps it's only um, proving that, so I have to figure out, right? Whether right, the thesis I want to uh, set out is that the Gemara is using the Breit to to, um, to demonstrate, and I think this con- compellingly demonstrates that all the prior Okimtod are not possibly shot in the Mishnah, and but and that the Gemara introduces the um, this Okimtod with the Breit last um, because if it introduced it first, it would be unable to introduce those Okimtod because how could you possibly say, right? You're taking advantage of the Ze of the Mishnah um, to create this possibility, uh, right, this wild possibility, where there's a, uh, right, where there's a shliach in the middle, uh, no one would believe that once they'd seen, the, right, that the, in all the parallel cases, hitu means that the balabayit and the poel 
um, trick each other as opposed to the Zezer relates to the Paulin. That's just a grammatical accident. When the when the that the text of the Brayta was altered, writ, writ that you have the possibility that Zezer means the Paulin each other. That's obviously not correct because it involves introducing a, a third right. Because the Gemara says that requires you to make the Paulin hierarchical as well. One is an agent, one is not. There's no evidence for that in the text at all. All right, so that would be my simple reading is that uh, the Gemara, um, that the implausibility of the opening of Kimto is exposed by this Brita, and then to claim that, right, you could claim, no, the Mishnah says that Zedafka to mean the Paulim each other and is intended to be different than the Brita, that seems to me a stretch. The more likely reading is that the Tanya uh, demonstrates that the Zedafka, the Mishnah, is also the Balabayit and, uh, and, the, and the employees directly, and that should mean that we um, abandon the notion that uh, that hitu can mean anything other than chazru, because as far as our Gemara knows, once you say hitu, the only um, possible way you can do that uh, among poalim is to differentiate the poalim hierarchically. So the last thing you want to do is point to the Rishalmi, um, Rishalmi on on our sugya uh, says the following: hitu zezemahu. Uh, come work with me. What do you guys, what do you guys work for? Min Most of us work for uh, for five. Um, most right. So Most of us work for five. Min Esther. And it turns out that actually the work is ten. Um, sorry, right. Um, Right, come work with me. So we'll have to read the the language the language uh, next time to figure out exactly what the language means. But the straightforward thing is that what changes is um, what changes is the sha'ar. Uh, right, they're, they're fooled about the sha'ar. That's not necessarily the case. I realize I did that uh, over simply in the live share. It could be that um, as opposed to directly saying what. Uh, what their salary is, what, he, what they're fooled either about about what other employees are earning or about um, what he pays other, what other employees charge, what other employees pay. Um, all that will have to be, uh, will have to be done um, in, a sub, in a subsequent year. Uh, what matters to me, what matters to us at this point is, I think that it's uh, very, uh, it's very hard to say. Well, let's read explicitly. The second half of Gemara is hitu hitan balabayit mahu, aitun atun avdin im chaverechon. Why don't you guys come work with your friends over there? So that's the balabayit talking to the employees. Hichan and avdin, right? So right, what do they, right? What do they work for? Asar rabo, right? Okay, that, right. So we'll have to work out the specific case. But what matters is that the Yerushalmi does two things. A, it interprets hitu as hitu, as opposed to chazru. It's all right, it's not a case of backing out of the contract. It's you agree to a contract on a certain assumption, and then it turns out that assumption is false. And it also does it in a direct dialogue between the balabayit and the employees. There's no agent, uh, right? It's it's hitan balabayit nahu atun avdin im You guys come and work with your friends. So the, it's all the employers speaking directly. So Yerushalmi's okimta of the Mishnah is both a case of hitu really means hitu and not a case of a middleman. Right? It's hitu zezeh um, directly. So the question is right. That's the one possibility that the Bavli doesn't mention at all. Right? The Bavli's opening okimta are it means hitu 
but Z, Z has to be um, a, uh, between an agent and other employees, or it means chazru, in which case you don't need the middle, you don't need the middle person, and that's always pointed out. It's what the the, um, the way the Brighter reads it, and the way all the parallels read it. But the Yerushalmi says no, you can say it doesn't mean chazru, and you can still have a direct relationship. So the issue is. Why doesn't the Bavli introduce this Okimta at all? Now, part of that is going to be a question. Maybe the Bavli never thought of it, so you're going to have to decide for yourself um, whether you think the Bavli is aware of the details of the Yerushalmi, which is itself a whole academic issue, and perhaps we'll, when we get to the Yerushalmi, we can talk about that in greater depth. Um, but let's assume, even if it didn't know about the Yerushalmi, but it should have thought of the case of the Yerushalmi, it's a much easier uh, right, the simple reading of the Mishnah does not, uh, certainly does not involve the hier uh, hierarchically layered employees. So it must be the Bavli thinks that it's you can't develop a case of Taromet, uh, where uh, right without introducing hierarchy. And yet here the Yerushalmi does. So now it's very hard to argue that the Bavli rejects that possibility on purely literary grounds. Obviously, um, if you could construct a case of Taromet, uh, which is Hitu. And does right and is direct between the Balabite and the employees. That would be the easiest reading of the Gemara. So if the Bavli rejects that possibility, um, the most likely thing is that it introduces it um, that it does it disagrees substantively. And so now we have Machlokas Bavli and Rishalmi, and we have to figure out what is Rishalmi saying and why is the Bavli rejecting it. Uh, we could also claim that no, that the Bavli isn't interested in the Rishalmi's case, uh, and it doesn't matter to it because in, it knows that the real shot in the Mishnah is Chazru, but how does it know if the Yerushalmi doesn't, uh, doesn't read it that way? Is the Yerushalmi unaware of our Breitat? Um, so we're left with the possibility that uh, right, really there are three possibilities of reading the Mishnah, uh, literary possibilities of reading the Mishnah. The, the Bavli only presents two. Why does it only present two and not three? Um, do we now revisit and say, no, actually, no, we thought that the Bavli demonstrated that the uh, what the pshat in the Mishnah was, but really not, um, really not, because the Yerushalmi doesn't go that way at all, and the existence of parallel brightot that are definitely about Chazru and are they definitely about Chazru, um, doesn't mean right doesn't mean the Mishnah that the Mishnah necessarily is about Chazru um, as well, um, so, right? Or maybe right we can say that like the whole goal of the Bavli is to reject the case of the Yerushalmi, and we figure out why. Is it rejecting the case of the Yerushalmi because it thinks that is obviously a case that is not Teromit, or that it's obviously a case which is more than Teromit? Okay, that concludes our uh, introduction, I guess, to the, uh, the Perak. So we have a, right, a, a wide variety of variables in play for, uh, for analyzing the Mishnah and for thinking about the Halacha. We recognize that often there are many more factors in any specific case than are given explicitly in the Gemara, and so to develop halacha, we have to figure that out. Um, right, we'll note like, that, for example, the machlokas between the, the Rif and the positions that Onel, that Onel could apply, which we developed in various ways, whether it's the Ramam because of Kablan, uh, or uh, the Ramban who says that there can be Onel as a lav, even if there's no Chiyav uh, Hashava or ability to return the contract. Um, right, so all of those, um, right, so that the machlokas is about whether in the last Okimta, the work is worth four, uh, or the work is worth three, or it doesn't matter how much the, uh, the, the work is worth. 
So that's just a variable uh, that the Gemara doesn't address. So, we, right? So all these uh, all these cases present only some variables, and the question is, does that mean that none of the other variables matter, or do we have to actually in every case, right, plug in every variable and see, right, whether the outcome changes depending on which of these variables we'll plug in? So we have to plug in the question of what the work, right, what the work is worth if it, in fact it has an, it has um, an obvious worth, uh, what the reliance. Of uh, of parties are if there's a, right if uh, either if there's a if there's a third party and the third party uh, says something false uh, or if it's direct but the um, but the there's ambiguity in what is uh, in what is said um, or falsehood uh, in what is said right whether the whether the work has begun or the work hasn't or the work hasn't begun uh, or whether they've traveled to the point of work or they haven't traveled to the point of work. Uh, whether there has been um, an economic changes, economic change in surrounding circumstances or not, um, whether in fact there's a single position throughout, or whether there are machlokot that um, that ramify, uh, such as the machlokot in the Tanakhama and Rabbi Dosa, uh, in the Brita, it might be that our Mishnah itself is not a, a coherent document, um, but actually reflects multiple positions put together. Or you have to engage in source criticism uh, of the Mishnah. Uh, really, is there an underlying dispute bet uh, between the Bavli and Yerushalmi? Um, and perhaps there are other factors that we have not yet seen that are just simply not introduced in the context of this um, of this first suga. All right, so next week um, we're going to just um, do the Gemara uh, from the beginning to the end of the Breita. Uh, that's from Ayin Vavim and Aleph to about eight lines to the bottom on Ayin Vavim and Bet. And we're going to do it with Rashi, just with Rashi. Uh, just so we have a firm basis for what happens afterwards. Uh, then we're going to go on, we're going to go back to the Yerushalmi, we're going to go on in the Yerushalmi, um, and then we're going to go back from the uh, from the Yerushalmi to the Bavli for the next for the next stage of the Sugya. I think it's valuable to do the Yerushalmi before the uh, the Bavli in, pre in preparing the Gemara with Rashi so you can um, you can um, just take out a conventional Vilna Shas and you can uh, bring that to Shur if you want. I will probably put out what I call integrated edition of Gemara and Rashi uh, beforehand and you can um, either come to Shur and see if that changes anything or prepare with that and see if you catch what I'm trying to do, see if you agree or not. Uh, thank you very much and we'll see you next week.